there, and welcome to episode 99 of the Night Gallery podcast. My name is Chris Brown. Today we're going to be talking about what happened next after the season three finished. Um, it's a story of how the Night Gallery becomes what it, what it was and now what it is. Um, and also we touch on the fates of, of Sailing and Laird. The show was cancelled mid middle of season three, and it, it kind of the and after being moved around to different time slots, it was in a funny sit place because it was doing well but not brilliantly, and also NBC and Universal were unsure about what to do with it. The change to single stories was one element to try and kind of, uh, you know, get rid of this anthology format, which they they didn't like. Also, it didn't particularly uh, get many great reviews. Uh, early season two is marked by the fact that it's quite patchy with lots of different stories. And that's mainly down to Laird's idea of trying to, you know, fit it all together like a jigsaw. Each individual story doesn't necessarily come with a cohesive whole. And um, for every time that something great would come on, something bad would happen. Or the, And these the comedy jokey shorts kind of, for some critics, left a bad taste in the mouth. I mean, it's an issue till to this day with anthologies. We talk about this on um, the Christmas special, the, the Twilight Zone Christmas special podcast, which you know obviously is, a, is an anthology film about uh, well, the Twilight Zone movie. And um, I was mentioning, you know, and I was mentioning even at the moment um, with the film that coming up this year, VHS. That everyone kind of had their own favourites and kind of dismissed other ones, and no one could really agree because you know it's they're so varied the stories. And I think that's equally true of Night Gallery. So it wasn't doing brilliantly well, uh, but it was doing. It, did, it was getting great demographics, and it was doing well enough, despite the fact it was quite an expensive show. Uh, Jeno Swark says, "The fact that the series was both an anthology and fantasy confused NBC and Universal. Sid Sinberg, the uh, head of Universal Television at that time, didn't like the series. We were virtually cancelled on paper because even though we only had decent ratings, we had sensational demographics." I can remember Rod coming in one day, all excited because he found out there was night gallery viewing clubs at Harvard and Yale. Other people were such fans long before the days of video cassettes. They were buying bootleg films of certain episodes. If nothing else, that their interest shows that there was a cult for night gallery that could have been built up. The network was flooded with letters by people protesting the cancellation. Some sponsors didn't even want night gallery to be cancelled, but within the industry, it, to- it went totally unnoticed that series. The method by which the show ended was a tragedy for all of us who worked on it. In fact, Night Gallery could very well be the only series ever taken off air simply because its studio and network didn't understand it. Um, I mean, it's fair enough to say that. I mean, it's certainly, you know, he's, he's a lot more of it on an inside track than I have. Um, I think it's interesting, really, in terms of how Night Gallery scene in terms of Twilight, in comparison to Twilight Zone, and I'll touch that on that in a bit. I suppose the most important thing to say is: Is there any lost secret, you know, scripts that were made but were not back from the show? Salem was by far the most prolific writer for Night Gallery. Um, a third of all the stories are his, and indeed he had he, he sent stuff along as well as having you know starting stories and ending them. Um, a lot, some of them were just because were not back because they felt like retreads, they, they touched over two similar grounds. For example, Reflections, which was a bit like the cemetery in truth. And um, Let Me Live in a House, which uh, 
seems to be was similar to Midnight Never Ends, and um, it's something that's been touched on before, I think, in Night Gallery. Um, that kind of, uh, you know, puppets on a stage kind of thing, you know, it's the cold hand of fate directing them. Um, there's two, though, that probably stands out as being a bit different than that. How Does Your Garden Grow was submitted in early 1972, uh, but was not back probably because it would have been too expensive to make. And then also The View of Whatever, which was submitted at a similar time, but was knocked back more likely because it was more fantasy than horror and um, was more in touch with something like Walking Distance or the Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar. And at this stage, the network wanted corpses and um, and, and zombies and, and that... Uh, that car bumper that we touched on at the beginning of uh, when we started talking about season three of a, you know a skeleton looking in fright. They wanted straight up EC Comics style gore of the type you could only get in um, those kind of you know that in that kind of uh, time slot anyway on TV. Um, there was a lot of positivity around the show. People speak of it kindly. We keep on touching throughout the episodes of um, directors who got their first shot. On night gallery and not only that we were given the artistic freedom to do what they thought was best um, Rod Salen speaking three months before his desk he was giving their lectures at Sherwood Oaks Experiment, Experimental College his own opinions are touched but before we go into what he said I must point out that also in these lectures he only says two of his stories were actually you know he still thinks are good and they are uh, Reckoning for Heavyweight and the Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar. He's incredibly tough on himself and his writing. And um, before we speak about his own statements, I think it's worth pointing out that, um, you know, while there were many harsh critics of Serlin and his work at times, uh, people who don't like his own his particular brand of writing, the harshest critic of all was always himself. How did I lose control when I never really had it there? I'd lost some status over the years and didn't have the prerogative of demanding creative control that I had earlier. I had no say at all in the choice of scripts. None. Although they would do me the goodness of sending me the scripts. The first year I wrote quite a few of them. And then as the time went on they would reject almost everything I wrote. They would do it in a nice in nice ways. But in their, their way of saying, we're the boss, you're not. We're not. You're not the creative force on this show, we are. And then I was furious because I was watching some sh such shit on the show which was considered related to me. And I thought, that's not fair. I may be right or wrong in my judgment of the show, but don't make it appear like it's my show. Um, I think in terms of, I mean, that's, I mean, he, he's right to a point. It comes, a lot of this comes from stories that says that a lot of his work was rewritten when in actual fact it wasn't, only a few were. And Salem bashed his foot down to try and, um, try and get more you know get his own say as much as possible uh, and it worked uh, he was very vocal and uh, giving interviews before episodes saying you know they've rewritten this and I've got no control and Laird is the type of man who didn't like confrontation so it was tough for him to kind of have that stuff in the press and it was enough to kind of force stuff through I think for sailing um, again you know it's hard Um he can't, I don't think he has a particularly strong perspective on his work. On the other hand, 
people compare Night Gallery extremely unfavorably to Twilight Zone. And, um, and it's true that Night Gallery is patchy, but you know, <laughs> Twilight Zone has its weaker episodes too. Um, season one is a bit hit and miss. But you know, everyone has their own favorites, it's, it's fair to say. But um, it is also true that, you know, at times, Salem wrote so much stuff in short, short periods of time that it's unsurprising that some of it isn't as strong as other elements. Uh, but his, his hit ratio was always very good. And um, I think that's true of Night Gallery and also of, of Twilight Zone. And if you take it as a whole, there's enough in there, I think, to justify it, you know, to say it is a cult and classic show. Um, oh well, you know, I've just put two and a half years of my life down trying to prove the point, so I think that's fair. Um, it's inevitable that they get compared. Le I think I mentioned that, you know, we talked about this. Laird, I think, wanted something lighter in tone to, to Serlin. Serlin was going once again into like a slightly more horror than sci-fi touched Twilight Zone kind of idea. And that comes across in stories like The Caterpillar, which were taking other people's stories and touching them with a, a morality in his own touch, but also wanting to do the fantasy elements and also it's more heartwarming fear, like the Messiah on Mott Street or um, the um, uh, uh, the tearing down Tim Riley's bar. Laird, I think, saw it more as um, Alfred Hitchcock presents that kind of lighter touch to the macabre tale. And um, I think that's fair, you know, that's understandable. Um, and I think if you take that idea and look at Night Gallery, I think it makes more sense. Um, despite the fact that the stories don't really fit together that well. They haven't got a cohesive whole for each episode. They're, not, they're just kind of a jigsaw puzzle of, of ideas. Okay, so that's that element. Um I suppose we need to go into syndication now, really. What happened next is probably terrible, really, in terms of what happened to Twilight Zone and Twilight Zone to Night Gallery. And not only that, it's still the reason why there is confusion about the show. And also, I think, still in America, um, you still get the syndicated episodes on like some, some cable channels, don't you, late, late at night. Um, I'm going to explain why you really want to search out the originals rather than, than them. Um, long syndicated stories were becoming less popular so what was happen would be that they, um, they had to be cut down to 24 minute episodes um, So, but you need 75 of those for it to work in syndication uh, Harry Tattleman who's the vice president at Universal um, used to be an expert in trying to make splice together elements of different shows and turning them into movies for the foreign market he did it in the 60s and um, he, he was tasked with the job of making 43 50 minute episodes with stories of the varying lengths into a 75, 24 minute episodes, which is an impossible, the maths doesn't work for one reason. So Tim Riley's bar was effectively cut in half. Uh, the different ones gained nine minutes, some of it from Fahrenheit 451. Some of it from Silent Runnings, and bizarrely some of it from the Apollo moon mission footage. Camera Obscura and Flip Side of Satan were extended by merely adding disembodied heads into the mix. Um, the music was changed as well. 
some of the subtlety was moved and ta- uh, and uh, Tattleman beefed up the uh, the score. So if there was a big shock at the end, you'd know about it. Um, things like Green Fingers, for example, has some booming finish. Also, there was the addition of spookier music to try and make you know set the scene and the mood better, rather than you know the wonderful disharmonic electronic score that was in the original version. Uh, Sixth Sense fared extremely badly from this. They also were 50-minute episodes, which were cut down to uh, 25 minutes. Um, Salen was then tasked with recording new um, intros for that. And um, here's an example of one. Good evening, art lovers. I'd like to take you on a conducted of a most bizarre little salon where the pictures are out of this world. Welcome to our exposition of the malefic. We present for your judicious contemplation a surrealistic manifestation of fear in one of its most cleansing forms, fire. Fire, one of the four elements in ancient teachings, has had many esoteric purposes. Tonight we may witness one of its more lethal applications, death. A melting, searing, fusing, scorching, charring death. Whether it be via the fire from the hearth or via a lit candle or a lamp, the malefic forces of the mind find vent to their rage. In any case, for those of you who take their pleasures dancing around the firelight in solemn circumstance, we dedicate the following plight we call Candle, Candle, Burning Bright. Jenno Swark was allowed to um, re-edit his own uh, episode to try and maintain or, or give it as much as he could. Um, but basically what happened effectively was that these stories and these ideas that had been originally created were put through the mincer and it turned to be cut down. Um, and then after that, there was a ruling in 1974 that said that uh, they could m- include more adverts in, 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 in their shows. So another two minutes were cut down. So um, rather than doing it in any kind of subtlety, everything was just speeded up slightly. So you had a very um, fast-talking Rod Serlin uh, kind of introducing each story. Uh, I mean, there's not much you can say about it. It, it. it was what it was. I mean, a lot of the things we always praise, like Gary Ford's creative freedom, the control that they had was removed through this process, really. Um, it's a shame. It's a real shame. Um, but, you know, that's that's what they decided to do. And, and um, it's still something that touches on... I mean, people still, I think to this day, believe that... Um, Sixth Sense was part of Night Gallery because of these 25 episodes which were added to the syndicated package with new intros from Salem to, to, to hit the required 75. Um, it damaged um, the series because the work that had been done had, uh, had uh, lost attention and uh, stories that were you know, either too long or too tight lost pretty much any kind of cohesion. I mean, you can't put nine minutes into a 15-minute story and still expect it to work well. I think that's fair to say. 
Okay, our creators. Um, Rod Salem was taken to Tompkins County Hospital um, on May 4th, 1975. He'd suffered a minor heart attack and then during uh, surgery for a heart bypass had another one. He died on uh, July 28th. Uh, 1975 at 2:15, uh, his cigarette smoking, and his uh, his kind of stressy nature, I suppose, had taken its toll, and he died at 50. Uh, Jack Laird was became more and more of a recluse. Ill health had affected him, and problems with his family. Um, he had there was cancers and diabetes, which um, made him become worse and worse. Um, he lost his foot from gangrene through diabetes, uh, and he died on December third, nineteen ninety-one. Uh, unknown, he had no idea on him as he was heading to the hospital when he dies, and his belay unclaimed for weeks. As um, in the end, his estranged daughter um, identified him. Um, here's a bit on uh, from Jenna Schwark speaking about first Rod Sterling, and then the second clip. He speaks about Jack Laird. He was very witty. He was extremely intelligent. He was a genius. I mean, he was very prolific and. But, you know, he not only wrote a lot, but he, he, uh, he wrote a lot of excellent stuff. Jack was a very strange, talented man. You know, Jack was the guy the studio always called Friday night when they had uh, a, a sort of a real emergency. They'd give him a pilot or a script on Friday night, and he'd, he'd come up with a, a very good rewrite on Monday morning. But he always was locked in his office. He hated confrontations. He didn't like to go on the set. He didn't like to talk to actors. He lived at the studio. Our story now goes, it stays in 1991. Um, Night Gallery uh, made a comeback. Versions were released on video, uh, Bite from Columbia Home Video, and they've been remastered. Um, finally, the fans could rediscover these fantastic episodes as we were meant to be seen and no doubt benefited greatly from that. I could imagine growing up with the syndicate stories and then finding out exactly what they were like before then and you know just seeing the jump in quality being so large. These days all three seasons are available on DVD with some fantastic extras um, or you can watch them simply on Hulu if you're in America or some some cards of a uh, Put quite a fair few of them on YouTube now for you to enjoy. Um, truly, it's it's wonderful, particularly considering season three was only released this year. Um, but they've done such a fantastic job of um, breathing new life into what was at this stage a very troubled production, um, and giving it you know the send off that it deserves really, because there's still some fantastic stories in there, uh, despite you know some some rather dodgy quality. I think. The thing about season two is when it's not very good, it's just, you know, it's still okay, quite watchable. But season three, when it's bad, it's extremely bad. I think that's probably the difference. Um, so we can all enjoy them as they're meant to be. Um, a fantastic. Uh, and it's great that it's there, you know. I, 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 we spoke about Night Gallery being, you know, 
always being compared to Twilight Zone, but they're very different beasts, I think. Um, they have a different heart to them. Slightly darker, maybe, but still touching. And um, there's a level, at, at times, with stories like The Caterpillar, it's genuinely frightening. And, the and that story stands alone on its own, and you could show that to anybody, and it would still feel timeless and quite dark. And, you know, they turn down Tim Riley's bar, a story that Serling himself still considers to be perfect, you know, one of his best writing, which is um, touching and heartwarming and has a real, you know, wonderfulness to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, we're coming to the end now. Um, and despite its faults, and despite the problems that Sailing and Laird had with each other, mainly through personality clash rather than having anything more serious, they there is a body of work there which still stands the test of time. Um, unusual, uh, macabre, fantastique, but still wonderful little moments of televisual excellence. Good evening. I'd like to take you on a conducted tour of a most bizarre little salon. There's something wrong in this house. Our compendium of the unorthodox is full of surprises for you. Something evil. Visions of passions, past and present. Something monstrous. Bizarre emanations of days gone by. Now, if you'll just follow me. Um, if you want to get hold of me, please do. Uh, my uh, Twitter, my private Twitter is at orange underscore monkey. There's plenty of people saying hello at the moment. It's fantastic, particularly as, as we come to a close. You can email me at chris at thetwilightzonenetwork.com or go to our website, www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. There's links to our Facebook and our Twitter. You can leave comments on any of the articles that we write. Um, and there's our Christmas special about the Twilight Zone movie. I know I mentioned it before. Uh, myself, Luke Owen from uh, Bodica Films and, uh, and Tom discussed the film. Um, Again, it's a, a, you know anthology format, but uh, so it, you know there's ups and downs in there. But uh, on the whole, I think you know we we still see the value of the Twilight Zone movie. I think, and it's a, it's a good little listen, and uh, a lot more long form that uh, you get normally from me. Okay, um, this is it really. Um, this is our last final full episode. I will return on December the thirtieth. To discuss our last, uh, well, our last episode. That's going to be like an introduction and also kind of just me saying goodbye, really, in fairness. More to get me up to episode 100, <laughs> I think, more than anything. But uh, I think it's important since people download from iTunes, the first podcast they get is something that introduces the show rather than ends it, shall we say. So, until then, take care and I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>